0: Good evening and welcome back to Farsight. Once again, I'm Hiker. And I'm 1 takes everything from G2. Suning keeps the miracle alive by defeating top esports. It's the War of the Scrim Gods at the Season 10 World Finals. We're going deep into it this week, but before we get into it, be sure to give us a follow on whichever podcasting service you catch us on. And you can find me for the rest of the week at Hiker Speaks on Twitter.
1: And with that out of the way, I think it's time to get right into it. Uh, we'll have to start with the first of the two matches, which would be G2 versus Damwon Gaming. Uh what would you take on this series?
0: Damon took it three to one over Gamers Two. And I mean I think it's actually like we're thinking about like whether we need to start characterizing this as a G2 collapse because Pretty much everything that had been working for G2 up until this point just completely stopped working when they had to face down one.
1: I think you would be right in saying that everything that uh, but, uh that they tried to sort of play out stopped working at this point, but you could also say it it, it like stopped working out against sooning as well
0: when they'd face towards the ends of groups. Yeah, people do kind of forget that that was an artificial best of three and that Suning took it fairly decisively in the end, right? There were two even matches and then one for Suning that was not even whatsoever.
1: And, and even that loss uh, in the groups, the very first game they played, pretty much was a, a, a snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. It was that Angel kind of mispositioned and that took the series out of uh, Suning's. Even
0: then, Suning took it pretty close considering like Angel fumbled that hard but yeah yeah, there was there were two major chances that Sunning had to take the game uh, even despite getting fairly outscaled in that I yeah, mean if you're were, a G2 fan, that's yeah, scary
1: Damon one like they really it seemed like they knew what G2 wanted to do and they were just ahead every step of the way. Uh, so um, uh, what, what were your thoughts in terms of like sort of how dan one systematically countered G2's approach?
0: It was a little bit different from game to game. I think in general, there were a lot of situations where Dom1 was, like, they were doing things in a way that was designed kind of to counter G2, right? G2 does a lot of things that are very consistent from game to game, like, you know, setting up in the opponent's jungle for picks, like seeding the Herald and the early Drakes and things like that that analysts have been talking about all over the scene for a couple weeks and Dam one just kind of knew what they wanted to do in response. And I think that was what really ended up deciding it was that like, they didn't view G2 as being these, this like wild card that can do anything at you. They viewed them as what they were, which is a team with very uh, pronounced consistent tendencies and they punished those tendencies.
1: Yes. Uh, I think that if people had been watching G2 throughout the tournament, it was pretty clear that they uh, sort of that Damwon, right, they they play they sorry. So Damwon, they played to sort of smash G2 whenever they showed those consistencies, right? Uh, for example, um, there were so many times where Barrel would sort of just He'd hide perfectly around vision. Like I, I can't really show like a visual graphic, but there was one where like there was a G2 World place next to Raptors, uh, and just, he skirted around it, so he did not believe that they didn't see him, didn't believe he was there. And then he hex-flashed in through everything. Like, like, it really caught them by surprise. Uh, and, and that was Beryl sort of knowing where to be at the right time. And it wasn't just that. There was also... There a couple of times where they tried to get that pick on Ash in the third game. And, and Beryl would sort of know what they were trying to do. Uh, f- for the first dive, Like he peeled for her like pretty well. And although Ash did end up going down, she got like a double kill. Uh, and then after that, uh, there was Mickey X. It looked like he was inting. But uh, if you've seen previous G2 games, and I think there was analysis given by, I believe it was Jensen Go. yes. He pointed out that sort of G2 had this tendency of like, as you said, giving up Rift Herald and then they were looking to make a play onto uh, Ghost because they really like sort of zoning their enemy ADC off of like the bottom tower, uh, assuming that the enemy support was rotated up to assist with Rift Herald. Uh, Or they really like to uh, sort of actually outright kill the enemy ADC in the enemy jungle. But then what happened was Beryl would fake going up to Rift Herald, and then he, and then he would shadow Ghost, or Ghost would pretend to go back down to Lane through his bot jungle, and then G two would like scout throughout bot jungle, but in actuality, uh, Ghost would have recalled in like Fog of War, and they wouldn't know that. So I thought that was just really smart. Like they they knew what G two wanted, but then they'd make the play, but they'd use sort of like vision or lack of vision thereof
0: to thwart g2 at every turn yeah the, it was like the intent behind all of the plays from g2 you could understand it really well but Damwon one gaming had read it one layer deeper and g2 didn't really have a second layer of adaptations that they could do, go to when the plan a didn't pan out and for g2 We've never really characterized them as a team that's so dependent on their plan A working out. That's something that we would normally criticize a like a top esports or a suning for, right? They're you know a fantastic team when they're able to do what they're comfortable on, but then if what happens when they're not able to do what they're comfortable on? G two we always think of them as the team with the bag of tricks, the team that can play every style in the meta. We even. You know, In theory, it looked like we were seeing this when they played against Gen.G, but in the end, when they go up against Damon when they're actually forced to put those cards in, we're not really seeing like Yankos switch up his jungling style. We're not really seeing them find different ways to get the same picks when their normal tricks are out are, uh, found out.
1: Yeah, it seemed to me when I watched the series that Yankos was intent on supporting, like he... He supported his lanes. And even in scenarios where he or his lanes got killed and they accrued of somewhat minor lead over the over someone on Dammon, uh, that sort of like it, it just wasn't enough. Like it felt like Damon was inevitable. Like they would they would eventually come and smash them and then then take it past the point of return. And I, I still think G2's late game decision making is generally really good. And that had they gotten to that stage, I could see them having a like sort of fair fighting chance to either get the upper hand or outright close it. Uh, but they never got there outside of game two. And even game two, that was sort of more
0: down to the draft than sort of the execution. Game two, I'm not exactly certain what it seemed like One was going for. It's either like there's really two kind of things that you can assume that they were trying. Either they wanted to kind of just take the same exact draft that uh, G two had, basically like a one three one comp that's like with with a roaming mid laner, and then just smash them on like a basically a mirror comp, which would be absolutely devastating to morale and all of that or they figured that they could go over the top with like the Fiora which is like a theoretically good matchup into the Camille I'm not super certain, it's also very possible oh, that uh, they're just
1: it is as you suggested that they wanted to mirror and they wanted to demoralize because G2, uh, while well have ex- the players have expressed an admiration and love for the G2 players after their loss like kind of respect, like, like really deep respect uh, the love and hate are two sides of the same coin, and they've the way that they've been talking all year long, living rent free. Uh, it's like yeah, 2 has been living rent free in the Damon players and staff's heads, where it's like, oh, we want revenge, and it's kind of like Sasuke from Naruto, where they're like, I'll stop at nothing. I live for revenge, kind of thing, and uh, and you've got to admire that. So when they finally had the chance to sort of realize that revenge. They, they take it to the next, uh, they they revel in it as much as they can. And that entails sort of stomping G2 hard and showing them no matter what they do, uh, Damwon will do it better.
0: I think the quote might have been something like, I want to crush G2 as quickly as possible from uh, Damwon's showmaker in the mid lane. Yeah,
1: and and even though they dropped the game, you could say there was some poetry in the fact that it was a 3-1, just like G2 3-1ing them
0: last year. There was also some speculation that that game too was the attempt to get a uh, a Fiora skin for Nuguri in the top lane, but it seems like he's going towards the cannon.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I don't think it was... uh, I think it was just that... They wanted to do like a very clear one 131 comp and then beat G2 and and be like look you are you were considered the best one three1 team and we outdid you there at the district 131 but it didn't play out that way so I think G2 still have the um I think G2 still deserve a lot of credit for like how amazing they are at one 131. Because even because that one game that Damon lost was uh, sort of when they tried to attempt one three one at its purest, which they did not go for in later drafts. So that's all sort of Damon recognizing we don't want to play ball G two when it's like sort of their best style.
0: One of the things that we get to see in both of these series, and we'll get to the second one pretty quickly. But we get to see kind of what happens when we get a few bands deep into the jungle pools of these top players, right? And it looks like for Canyon, it ended up being Hecarim as like that that trap card, that like last thing in the deck after the Nidalee, the Graves, the Lily are all kind of off the table.
1: It ends up being like uh, Bengi's Nidalee or like SOFM's Shen, where like, you wouldn't expect them to pull it out and like, like, because they've never played it historically in their career. Well, not Benji never, but like, you get the idea. As in, like, right? Because it's basically not showing up. Uh, the opposing players would, you would forgive them for not knowing this because, like, uh, who else could know other than the player actually pulling out these cheese picks themselves? Well, not cheese pick, but like, kind of surprise pocket pick.
0: Right, and I'm, you know, it seems like Canyon had a decent amount of mastery over the Hecarim, and his team knew how to play yeah. around it, but yeah, it's think, definitely a deeper look.
1: And I think it also shows the, that Damwon were going at it with all their cards, right? That they were giving right. G2 their due respect, because uh, you'd think that if they were, if they had no respect whatsoever, they would have kept this pick, like, hidden until fight two, do as soon. But they, I think that, although... They hate like this is respect. They hate Monocro G two. They didn't hold back the punches. They they showed like everything they could.
0: Yeah, and they took it in a pretty commanding fashion.
1: Mm. So yeah, uh, I think that you can forgive G two for not knowing about the Hecarim, and that forced them to abandon like their initial draft approach. Because now suddenly, hey, it turns out Canyon's jungle like uh, you can play Hecarim. And right. that really, so so that destroyed their plan of trying to shut down uh, the well, bring the series closer by banning out the junglers. And then uh, as for I think I've mentioned this for like quite a while that like Leona is just such a good pick in this tournament. Uh, she's had priority the whole tour, and I, I don't get why people don't first pick her more. Often, like sort of, not first pick, but as in like pick her earlier because right. she's just that insane um so if you will see matchups she's meant to lose such as uh, kate lux but just kate and lux have to dodge every single time like her sh- like, like they can't afford to let one go through one goes through and they have to burn like flash or like a, even another summoner alongside it and that's that's the power of leona like sort incompetent hands you could say she can make those plays. Uh, and even supports that look shaky in the tournament when you put them on Leona. They look really good. And,
0: uh, like, for example, Yuyanja, It almost reminds me of the Wukong in the top lane, where you get a lot of matchups that can theoretically do well in lane against it, and then you hit that level six point, and if you're not prepared for it, you just die. Yeah. You just straight up die. And Leona's very much the same way, where there's a, there are a lot of champions that can get an advantage over Leona. But if that lane turns, it turns really heavily. Uh
1: and although she loses some like scaling, especially in terms of damage, uh that doesn't really matter. She's bringing to the table like CC. Uh and more importantly other than CC is the tankiness from aftershock and W. So she can she can frontline and then the cc it can be it's not just she can only use it to engage like say like a Nautilus. She can use the CC to peel for her carries as well. So like, she's that she's versatile. She's like, like quite literally and figuratively as she's portrayed in the game, she, she uses the sword and the shield. She can be offensive and defensive depending on the context of like, sort of the situation.
0: And that's what makes her like really, really valuable. So I guess we'll get back to the question that we almost started it with. And that's the question of. Has One Gaming had an easy bracket so far?
1: I definitely don't think they've had an easy bracket. Uh, I I still think their bracket was not easy. It's more like they're just so strong. So damn strong.
0: Right. And it's almost a a shame to not be able to see DRX in another matchup in a best-of-five all year because they are such a unique team. They ended up um, in MSC, I think it was losing out in tiebreakers to jdg before jdg in turn kind of fed uh fun plus
1: actually uh i will say the actually no actually you're right down one have had an easier bracket to the finals comparative to uh, suning
0: well suning also has had probably the most difficult bracket rng that we've seen out of like any any team that i can remember at least there's not been very many gauntlet runs quite as much as this facing number one and number two from LPL, number one from LCK and number one from the LEC given that artificial best of three that we already did see. So yeah, I mean, Suning's run that's, this is one for the ages. Like if they bring it home, then I think this is definitely a more miraculous run than the Samsung Galaxy of 2017, for example. Hmm. Uh,
1: but I think it will be very difficult to actually realise that run. Uh, Damwon just looks so formidable. Um, top jungle uh, mid, like, like as in I've described this as a top jungle matter. But with Damwon, it feels like you have to call it a top jungle mid matter because of how involved Showmaker is. Um, like as, it, as if he's tied to the hip with Canyon, making plays around the map, or like just just making stuff happen, right? And Nuguri, like Nuguri can be camped, but he even at 0-4, 0-5, he is just so threatening and he can distort like the top lane. I think that game against G2 comes to mind. Although I criticized him in that game too, against G2 for sort of not respecting that he would he would he could get gamped, that he could get collapsed on, uh, especially with TFO being on caps. Uh he managed to push down two turrets and he was and, and he was, and Wonder could ne- could basically never beat him in the 1v1, even the one v one, even
0: even when Nuguri was like zero three zero four. And this is that that's something that we don't usually see out of Nuguri. Like he has his zero and two power spike, of course, and especially in spring he was more prone to having games where he would go a little bit deeper into the low KDA's than that even, but. Usually, it's not quite the same pattern of him getting a lane advantage, keeping the lane advantage, but still racking up massive amounts of deaths. So I I personally feel like it was perhaps unintentional homage to the Shy, uh, who is pretty much known for doing exactly that. Like, he's a menace in lane, and no matter how many times you kill him, you're still not beating him in lane. But then he's 0-6, and and then the game kind of collapses from there. Mm Mm-hmm. But I think that probably brings us about to the end of that matchup and into Suning's uh, game against Top Esports. What do you think?
1: What did I think? Uh, now that I've, obviously when I lived the series, uh, and by the way, uh, Top, yeah, uh, I think with Top, the people can say the players underperformed, and I think you no, know, you could. That, that's that's not wrong. I think. Top Esports, their players did underperform on the day. But I don't think that was the breaking point. Um, and I still think their players weren't like, you know, really bad. It's just you know, Suning, they're really good. And I think more crucially, Top's read of the meta was not, right. not optimal. Whereas the meta was like made for teams like sooning and Damwon. Because uh, this meta requires you to play through top lane and jungle. And what do I mean by this mess requires you to play through top lane in jungle? Like earlier in the tournament, you would have volley bear top lane, or like it just tank tops, like Sign. Right. And, and there were games where they looked like damn incredible. But it seems like the teams that have had the most success and like like smashed and looked clean in those smashes were like the teams picking Camille, Jax. Uh, I'm not going to add Fiora to that list.
0: It uh, Aurelius is a bit sketchy as well because it was and, really just that. Yeah, opinion.
1: and and Ben even pulled out the Wukong as well in that game one, and and, and GP GP, but GP is like the exception. Like he does play weak side, but it's kind of like a strong side weak side with how he can re- repeatedly grasp proc with his Q. And and so I just think the top they 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 had some correct idea of how the meta plays out, but. I think it finally comes down to they try to play, Jackie. Love tried to play strong side and that is not, that's just not how the current meta is meant to be. Uh, bot plays for utility and weak side and they can accrue a lead through playing like weak side and then getting those picks, but not, it It doesn't feel like you're meant to generate like leads through laning advantages in the, sen- in the traditional sense when it comes to bot lane. Same with mid lane as well. Uh, knight not on carries is very unfortunate. But like it, I, I think that yeah you can say knight underperform, but I don't think that this means knight is not an elite mid lane. It I, it just shows he's not an elite supportive facilitated mid laner. Uh, he's yeah. not an elite roaming mid laner. But but like, I think a mid season cup he's already proved that he's an elite. He's an elite laning laner and an elite like carry mid laner because of uh, well, the echo game. Into fakers Azir, the LeBlanc game into Showmaker, I can't remember what Showmaker was playing, but it was LeBlanc into a Showmaker champ. And it was very convincing LeBlanc that like was insane. I you know this is this is Knight's sort of this is what Knight plays to. And if you don't give Knight, like I guess because this matter is not about those pit uh, and Knight did try to force Echo, but it just didn't work. Because the meta is not really about that style of play, I think it's reflected quite poorly on Knight. But it doesn't mean he's played badly. Like, he's played and he's gotten leads. He's just struggled to carry with those leads. And you can forgive him for that, because how many other mid laners, like, turbo carried this tournament? I think Yagao Zoe is one of them. PoE on some of his really weird picks is another one. And then Angel on the Akali... Angel on the Kali is probably the only other one. And then, like, I can't think of, like, a hard carry, like, literally mid-1v9 performance this tournament. And so you can forgive Knight for not being able to leverage that lead. And also, Kasa, he his Lee's good. But, like, I, I still think his Lee is kind of like comfort, not meta. And the, the farming junglers are not his best champs like in terms of jungling. Like, he's just way behind... He's way behind self-made, SOFM, and Canyon with regards to farming champs. Oh, and that's another thing for soothing Like, literally, SOFM was made for this meta Like farming counter, like, invading hard. Like, literally, SOFM will turn up when the enemy jungle camps
0: spawn. <laughs> I think it's that, and it's, like... I feel like people who don't see the LPL might mischaracterize it as SOF- SOFM being like spe- a specialist in this type of meta. But that's not really how it is. SO- SOFM, of course, is also a Lee god. He's also played the tanks. He's played the elites and all of the carries. Like He's been around the block for a long time now. And he's been at or near the top in terms of talent at every step of the way. But what makes SOFM so good in this meta, I think, is not necessarily his champion pool or his own tendencies, but also his, just his, I guess, mentality of just getting into the laboratory and figuring out the meta. He's a very, very experimental player. He is very good at figuring out new ways to play the game and never falling back into old habits. SoFM is a true genius in, ter- in that regard, and I think that that's the aspect that makes this an SOFM meta, because it's a new meta.
1: I'm not sure that he, he does have tendencies to like greed with invading jungle camps. Yes. And that top capitalized that for their like only win, where he tried to flank on Kindred, but they they were expecting him, and they all just turned on him. And then Karsa Lee kicked him out of the Kindred hole, and that was it.
0: It was also a compositional matter because that was kind of the only way that Kindred could get in, and both sides knew it. And yeah. Uh Toppy Sports just kind of kept themselves aware of it, whereas if they had lapsed in attention for even a second, SOFM might have gotten into their backlog. Not sure about that.
1: I th- I think and I'm not sure about the statement that SOFM is. I do agree he's experimental, but I, I'm not sure about adaptable so much as he's he sticks to his strengths. But it's just a meta where like being as efficient as SOFM is just so rewarding. I think um Yamato Cannon. I watched one of his vod reviews. He pointed out that Sofm, he whereas well, most junglers will try to minimize damage. If like a skirmish playing out poorly is playing out poorly, right? Sofm will immediately abandon like a skirmish going poorly to just invade the enemy, the opposite side of the map, and take the enemy jungle on that side of the map.
0: <laughs> and it's always correct. It's a lesson for junglers everywhere. Just try not to do it in my games.
1: So, yeah, I, I could learn from that. I've been playing Lillian recently. <laughs> it's been very fun. And I, I've been actually incorporating some of these strats I'm seeing at world where, like, I will invade the enemy raptors and take it away <laughs> and then and then just uh, prance back off back to my side of the jungle. And then and it was very funny where I took the raptors right from under their nose where the enemy jungler was doing red. And then he went around to do raptors only to see that, like I, I fin- like, I was just about finished doing them.
0: If yeah, they were bamboozled. Yeah.
1: I probably didn't need to smite, but I was smited just to be on the safe side because I, 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 I was scared of getting clapsed on. So like, yeah. Well, those
0: are the small optimizations, right?
1: Yeah, and I think that this is a jungle meta that does reward, like, these... Where, where, like, give them an inch and the jungler can take the mile. And that's why these level ones have been such a big thing, this tournament. Oh, absolutely. Do you expect to see level ones in like the finals?
0: Yes, uh, I think it's pretty much inevitable. I think that like we might see level ones that are like five and five, kind of grouping for one, and then they just yeah. decide not to call it because they know that the other one's there. But I f- have a feeling that they're both going to prep.
1: I think it was uh, it was Dobby Dobby Korea who uh, no it was Dobby it was I I don't know who it was but like they they pointed out that. G2 did try out level 1s, but Dam 1 seemed very savvy mm-hmm. about, like, level 1s that G2 might try to
0: pull out. They also happened to pull out a lot of the same ones that they did did against Gen G in particular, and, which... And
1: that's the thing, Heiko. I think if you're as strong as Dam 1, you just need to play level one safely. And mm-hmm. you can concede that information at disadvantage because you're that formidable that, like, it, like as long as you get to mid or late... Uh, Without being in an extreme deficit, you can smash the game open through
0: pure brute force. So, since we were on the subject of Sofm, uh, we sh- we have to talk about the game where he played the River Shen for the first time, and I mean, this is essentially one of his first times playing the champion. By his own um, by his own interview after the fact, it seems that he was just not really familiar with the pick. He hadn't been labbing it or anything. It was just. You know, he was kind of at the end of the meta junglers, and that was what he decided to bring out instead of, um, for example, the Skarner that he brought out in it, playoffs. It makes against think he how
1: boards. premeditated it was. Was it more of a case of they picked Shem because they were like, let's try out this global comp. And then they saw right. the enemy pick a top laner and were like, oh, actually, we think if we gave him the counter pick, he could smash this. Right, SOFM, you're going on Shem now. Or whether it was like, oh, we're going to bait them into thinking this is a top lane Shen, but actually pull up like a river Shen. Like, I, I'm really struggling to read into what is going on here. But I do think that if Suning Master, like the Shens and the uh, Nico, uh, uh, just like the sort of global comps before yeah. the finals, they that, that's actually a big calling
0: card because I I've seen down one ban Shen a lot. That jungle of Shen is. Pretty dangerous, and it's not if that can actually
1: if like Ben can also play Shen, like a lean dominant Shen, that could also be
0: really, really good. That is true. I'm not gonna hold my breath for a uh, for Ben on a you know, he's not quite a tank, he's like a bruiser tank, but still, like, not quite in Ben's wheelhouse from what we've seen so far,
1: yeah uh but didn't he also pull out the orn which you would
0: never have thought he would pull out <laughs> he did pull out the orn and it was not the prettiest orn game on the face of the planet but he did it and we applaud him for it
1: yeah okay so i i think that sooning sort of have hinted that they have these interesting cards going into finals uh we just have to and same with down we just have to wait I, i'm excited to see these two teams clash i just hope it's
0: not 3 you. Yeah, it's pretty much what we're hoping. I think that either of these teams, like they, like we kind of want to see them both win in a weird way. Yeah, uh, but no, we're no, still no. On the, I
1: want to see Suning win. I don't even want to see Damwon
0: win. Like, <laughs> oh, I, the only reason I'm conflicted is because I've, I really want like the players on Damwon to succeed. I think that they're kind of the way forward for their entire region and all of that. Um, but I can't root against Suning. It's just impossible. Like Suning's just they're the protagonist, and that's the way it is.
1: Mm. I, I going back to the Shen, sorry, I think that the, the Shen was very effective and that while it wasn't like a power farming Shen, he had a mm-hmm. really good game plan and he killed castle at Grump. And then and then like sort of Suning just took over the game after that. Uh, other than that, his uh, his Jarvan was also very
0: funky. He has a very unique playstyle on the Jarvan, where he'll like ult and then like dash out of the ult and then dash back into it once it's off of cooldown. He's a very, like I guess, off-kilter sort of player, where he does not play the, I guess, all-in team fight in exactly the same way. He was also, I think, he had phase rush on the Jarvan, which is... I think it's one of the options that you can definitely go for, but... It
1: gives him better, really, really good ganking, because how are you going to, like, you can see the drone coming from a mile away, but if he speeds up, catches up to you, and then ults cages you, that's, like, literally a flash
0: burn. Yeah, and of course he got value out of it straight on the level 2, because the Ash and Tom Kench were pushing. And that actually can kind of segue into another point about this, and that's the bot lane issues that we were seeing on top esports. Yeah. Jacky Love and Yuyanja did not have the best series. They were essentially gifted two free kills game one. They were at a huge advantage, and they didn't really provide more after the fact. Um, even in the game two that was a really uh, you know, top, top esports favorite all throughout, Jacky Love still kept tuning in it by getting caught out three times. If you look at the damage per minute that uh, Jack have had throughout the tournament, and group stage, he was at about, he was at 712. Then it went down to 604 in quarterfinals, and then it went all the way down to 528 in semis, which is like, that's like downright average for an AD carry. Uh, Juan Feng, by contrast, started out in groups at 579, and then went up to 700 and 686 in the knockout stage. So it's like the ascension of Huan Feng. He's really showing up, and then Jackie Love is really having these off series at the worst possible time for him.
1: I did not feel like Huang Fung outlaying Jackie Love. It was more like Jackie Love made brain farts, or he got focused. It was a combination mm-hmm. of brain farts and getting focused down by SOFM. And Angel on the Akali in that game four.
0: Yeah, and there there was the the Jarvin gank that threw that game. Into the meat grinder right away. There was, I mean, the the, the 2v2 dive where Juanfeng and Sword Art tried to make the tower dive work onto the top esports bottom lane. And it ended in a complete disaster. It was a, it was a double kill. Yeah. But um, in the end, like over the course of the game, it was definitely a now performance by Juanfeng and Sword Art. They were both more impactful than their counterparts.
1: I agree with that statement. I think a lot of people sympathize with Casa and I really do. Uh, I, I, was, I, was, I knew I was going to be sad no matter which team lost. I, I have a lot of fondness for the Flash Wolves veterans, uh, just how far they've struggled and how long they've struggled. Um, but uh, I, I've been rather fascinated about the ways in which people sort of deflect uh the blame from so uh, from Kasa because I think he was very much culpable for like a lot of these losses that Suning had. Game one, for example, losing those smite fights was atrocious. And had had TS even secured one more mountain that was literally a one game for them, the mountain soul. It's and then the fourth game, that gank bot lane that like was so bad and gave up first blood and the
0: double buffs. Or was it one of the buffs? Awful. Karsa was always going to be in a difficult position here, and a lot of I think that the plays that he made that were like the in plays, the bad plays, those were because he like was in a position where he essentially had to hard force. Uh, I think that going back to the dragons in game one, he was consistently at a level disadvantage, which you'd expect him to be. Given that he just doesn't play the champions that are capable of going toe-to-toe with these farm champions. Mm. And it just kind of, all of the pieces were stacked in favor of SOFM and against Karsa. And the fact that he managed to do what he was able to do and keep top esports in these games, both in this series and the last, that's a testament to his individual ability. But... You, you can't take Carsa away and be like, well, he was trying really hard. He did really well to mitigate his own weaknesses when some of those weaknesses were what put Toppy Sports in this position in the first place, we have to remember.
1: Yeah. Back to the drawing board for top, I hope they have another shot next year because, you know, this is still a team that I, I, I really like the players and I want to see them succeed because mid-season cup, that was... That was that was very feels good, and I I honestly thought, you know, that they could go further. But I I think when the matter doesn't shake out for the team like that, that, that's just how it is. And I think, yeah, top. If they had like a different support, who knows? I think that could have been enough to uh, have brought the series closer. Not saying that it's just that people will be like, oh, it's all Jackie love. But when you watch lane with him,
0: like it. It feels yeah, it's like one, Jackie Love has to lane as one point five. I see that on both sides and, because at the same time there were Yon- also Yon- a lot of those trades. Yu Yanja
1: as Tom, he missed eight He didn't eat Jackie Love, so Jackie Love got instantly blown up. Mm-hmm. Like, how could you accidentally eat your jungler instead of like the eighty carry? And then was, and then the Lux game, he missed like he missed bindings that immediately like let the enemy team know we can engage on them. That were. And like sort of at this elite level, you have you have to hit those like Lux bindings.
0: For me, it's like I do I do see the other side, however, where a lot of the deaths that Yuyanja had were specifically because the bot lane has a whole overextended and it was Yuyanja that just ate the bullet for it. That's a that's a decision that the bot lane is making and it's probably Jackie Love's call. No, so no, I'm not what going I mean to
1: mean is literally like if you miss like a light binding. Right. Like, I know this as a, as like not even a high elo player. Like, just, <laughs> just if if I'm mid lane as a Castleton into Lux and she misses the light binding, I just go onto her. I, I go onto her and I like just eviscerate her. Uh, whereas, you know, if Lux holds onto her light binding, I actually can't go ham. If she saves it, if she saves it for when I ult in to try and make a trade with her, that I'm the one who actually like probably loses out on that trade. So, so there's like, he was button spamming. Like you do, just throw out your lux bindings, hoping you hit. If you throw out a lux
0: binding, it better damn hit because like you you can get zoned and punched so
1: hard for it.
0: At the end of the day, the lux wasn't the worst game for you, Yanja. It was definitely him having a pretty yeah, hard time I, I on the Tom Kench. He
1: looked good because he got kills. Like, but but you, you're misunderstanding. Like having a good KDA
0: and like actually playing like. If, well like, let me let me put it this way you're, you're not going rise, to compare him to mark you're rise right and you've just used
1: up your phase rush and your ew is on cooldown if you stay up shoving the lane without any escape tools right do you agree with me and then the jungler comes if you had your ew up you maybe could have stopped them with like a root and if you had like phase rush you, you hit them with the ewq and then you're on your merry way to like having run away you escaped the gang but like so, I guess what I'm saying is Lux can be so easily punished if she misses her queue. and it's it's pretty criminal, but, like, like sort of if, if you throw out your queue like that and then miss, that the Leona can go in onto you for free, not just you, go in on the Caitlyn for free. So, like, saving the queue for, like, the Leona engage to disengage is, like, one way to play out the lane. The other way to play out the lane is uh sort of actually hitting those Lux bindings, which, and you, do you remember when Bin escaped from like what looked like certain death? Go back and read. Oh, which time? <laughs> at the end of the game, like the game losing, like Bin escapes and then he TPS. Okay, he yes. You Yandro missed two Lux bindings in a row that should have been fairly like straightforward to hit. Like he just like it wasn't even Bin sidestepped it. Like Yadra just really missed them. So to, top esports lands the binding and they kill Bin. That's instantly a 5v4 onto Drake. And when Yandra is the source of the CC, like he's the one who needs to hit the CC for the play to be made, then you can't blame like the rest of top. It was just Yandra missed CC. There was nothing else they could do because he didn't have other CC to catch him out.
0: Well. <laughs> And you, you write it down at the end of the day, like, Yuyanja also knows that he's not really on this team because he was chosen for this team. He's on this ch- team yeah. as a bit of a compromise, right? He, he
1: works very hard. That's the reality. I, I would not deny that, but I'm saying that people, like, they're, they're not, uh, it's easy to shit on Jackie though, but when, but, but like, people are over, it's because of the hype that Jackie Love has going in, but I, what I'm saying is give Jackie Love a better support and it, I think that Top looked remarkably better than this. So, Top, I, I think if they're not in the market for Mako and PP God, <laughs> something is wrong with them. I guess it's not just Mako and PP God, let me think. What, I think Chelsea would be really good to Jackie Love. Do they have the kind of engaged do, and aggregate yeah, style do. is precisely what Jackie Love is, is about?
0: The Shao could work, I mean, depending on the status of the E-Star thing that we talked about last week. Uh, you could also look at, I mean, any number of supports, honestly. LGD has four supports on their roster that could all start in that position. And speaking of supports on LGD, if we want to talk about a player in the LPL that really is an all-star on that Lux, it was Mark. And I'm kind of sad that we didn't get to see more of it uh, when it was getting a little bit more in meta, but that's a story for another day, so to speak.
1: I also think Lux was an incorrect read on the meta. Mm That's just another thing. Um, The teams pulling out Lux weren't necessarily met with great success.
0: I think the things like the Lux and the Lulu in particular; those are things that Yu Yanja chooses to play, or the team chooses to play I, Yu I Yanja on.
1: Like, I just don't think the Lux is matter because she doesn't offer enough peel. I think that whereas the Lulu offers peel and like
0: steroids for her carries. It, it's certainly it's certainly playable, but I think that the fundamental reason why those picks are things that we see Yu Yanja on is because he's much more like. He's much closer to the league average when he's on those enchanter picks. That is the thing that he is kind of known for. That's what he's been more comfortable on historically. And if you can kind of get him to be more comfortable, then the game looks a lot better for top esports in general. It just happens that Lux is a champion that's a really dangerous pick pretty much in any scenario. And Caitlyn Lux is a lane that has to hard win. And if it doesn't hard win, then you get end up in this really dangerous situation. Around like the two item power trough of Caitlyn, and you, you just kind of go down and down the list, and all of a sudden there's a jacks in your base.
1: I think that as Beryl and Sola have shown, like Leona, like which is meant to be weak, in, weak into Kate Locks. Right. It's just a case of like if you're dodging terrorist attacks, you have to like you have to catch every single terrorist that like board a checkout. If you let one through, it's a tragedy, and that's the same with like Leona's EQs and ults. Like They, they it, have to avoid every single one, but the moment one goes oh yeah. through, it, it's over. Oh,
0: yeah. And there are certain lanes where Lux is the one where she only has to hit one binding, but Leona is not that lane. Yeah.
1: Uh, anyway, I I think that at the end of the day, Suning just... It was just every player played better across the board. And also, just their, they're so much more in sync with the meta.
0: They're more in sync from the meta, and they're just playing at a higher level right you now. Yeah. Like and, and
1: Suning's... And a draft as well just like so sort of, because you have to you can't ban out bim and you can't ban out uh, Sofm.
0: yeah and angel seems much more impervious to champion pool issues than he has been in the past right we knew this guy in spring split well, but we didn't like the narrative around him was that he was a control mage player right you would put him on the azir he would be fine on the corky he, you know, he had his and pocket pick, and that was, like, what he played. Of course, like, if you go into the deep cuts, you know that he had that split where he was a top laner. You know that he plays a whole hell of a lot of Akali and solo queue, this and that. But, uh, you know, even through Summer, he usually kind of gravitated towards a few picks. Like, the Syndra was one that he was pretty comfortable on. And he wouldn't stray too far away from that. Now, at Worlds... He's been a lot more versatile. And this Akali that's like a pocket pick for him at this point, it's looking really dangerous. And I mean, I I don't want to overhype it in case it doesn't happen, but we've got four top-notch Akali players like facing each other in this finals alone. Like four that are potentially in the top 10 globally.
1: Remind me, who's the other really good... Are you telling me Ben's a good Akali player?
0: Ben's got a sick Akali... um, I, I mean, Showmaker was, is a, especially good at Akali, and yeah. that was one that would flex between him and Nuguri pretty consistently in the LCK. Uh,
1: what is, oh, I think I've pretty much figured out what it was, because I was saying that I, it felt like Canyon and Showmaker move around, and it, they feel very fluid, and um, yeah. sort of, they're on the same page. Whereas it feels SOFM and Angel aren't on the same page, but like, it's... It seems like that, but actually, I realized that it's more like Angel acts as of the way he
0: facilitates is he acts like a second jungler for the team. Yeah, he'll be going like the other direction a lot of the time. they're, they're yeah. suiting always does things in a weird, like off kilter way that is atypical of like the way every other team plays. It's I don't know. It's something that Spring's fully formed from their mind, and no other team seems to do it. But they'll run with like. Sword Art and, uh, and SOFM is like the duo and then the mids going like the other direction or getting ward pressure elsewhere and then the top lane is just kind of uh, total anarchy so to speak
1: and that, that's what makes Suning like unique and, and they can pull it off because Bin and SOFM exert like Bin can exert yeah. that much pressure that like so in the 2v2 or even the 2v3 between top jungle like they, they have Bin exerts that much pressure and like, and, and Suning know what to do when he's doomed. Like, they see like three people right. moving top and like Bin is very clearly dead and, and they they will just let him die but they they won't, they'll also like, they either trade or they make a counter-claps where they, where they like, where three people claps on the three people who are diving. Like, Bin is basically bait because he, he will right. have done enough damage or like, counter-punched the way before he went down that like, sort of, there's a good chance they can get, like, two or three in return. Or if not two or three, they they can, like, force, like, the summoners that they haven't used up in the dive.
0: Or, like, the bizarre way that the game, um, I think it was the game three, like, tower dive materialized in the top lane where it was, like, you know, Bin exerting a lot of pressure in the top lane and then SOFM goes in and gets a good trade on the jungler and then they dive, right, once the health bars are low.
1: So, I, I think that Damwon won't be as susceptible to this because I think Canyon and Nogari are that low. Oh, oh, yeah, I think that's the way to describe it. I think. Dam. I feel like Damwon don't really play around top in this meta because Nogari is monstrous enough that, like. Sort of, right. Like, Canyon is just playing with Showmaker across the map. But. So, so that's Dan One's interpretation of the meta, where they leave Top on, on a kind of island, but they'll come assistant yeah. in the jungle if the need arises. Whereas it feels like with Sooning, it, it's like Bin isn't playing on an island. Like, they very much play around Bin, uh, and it's with SOFF. But like, if, if something's not going, but they will also try to win Bot at the same time by sending like, Angel to sort of make something happen on the other side. As you said, like, very often he will go in the opposite direction.
0: I believe it was Peter Dunn that I recently heard say that there are kind of two main ways that historically that we've seen jungle carry metas materialize. And there's one where you have the mid laner pushing and roaming and kind of securing priority uh, and the ability to invade on on the opponent's jungle.
1: Oh, the SKT Dominance era style of jungling. <laughs>
0: that kind of mid-jungle, or even the one that we saw in like Spring Split, where you would get like Yagao pushing and then getting uh, Rome Pryo for Kanavi. And then the second archetype, the second type of jungle carry meta, is where you would essentially just create this massive disaster in the top lane, and then the jungle would feed off of that in order to secure an advantage.
1: Oh, I so the Shia Ning.
0: The shy ending exactly. And Suning almost plays both, right? You've got this massive like sink, this, this massive pressure point in the top lane that SOFM is definitely willing to go to and snowball elite there. But then Angel's also willing to play in a way that is facilitative to SOFM as well. So... I think that Suning in general has a little more flexibility than they're perhaps given credit for, but yep. it's a matter of whether either of these teams falters when they're met with laners that can match them, because I do think that in terms of pure laning prowess, these two teams are probably pretty close by.
1: I think Showmaker has already met Trovie. Um Yes. And he bypassed Trovie with relative ease, so... I think Showmaker probably is the best mid at this tournament. Um, what to say? I, but I think a very interesting thing to raise is that since finals will be in front of a live audience and these two teams are known as like sort of scrim online teams, maybe, maybe the crowd will make them play a lot worse and we'll see like a total clown fiesta of a finals. I would love to I I live for chaos, but, but yeah.
0: Like which one of them will sink harder in the face of the uh in the face of the crowd.
1: Let's hope that there's a home crowd advantage that Soonin get to enjoy, fingers crossed.
0: And it's not just like massive pressure. I, I Yeah. That makes it even more unpredictable. And this is already but, a but really unpredictable. No, I think, no, think
1: Damon is still a step above the like that success, right, for these kind of teams allow you to overcome mental barriers and hurdles. Like, the success against P2, for sure, is a massive weight off, like, damn one players' shoulders. Though, no, I guess you could say the same about Sooning and Top Esports.
0: Yeah, Sooning coming back against Top Esports right after having been smashed by them, that's a pretty big win. It's just, like, I feel like both of these teams are on such a credible form right now.
1: Yep. Anyway, uh, what are your prediction for finals? I predict Dam one three one three two. 3 uh, 1, 3 2. Let's go with 3 2. That would be exciting. But I want to see Sooning win like 3 1 or 3 oh, if I have a choice.
0: So I've been convincing myself that I wasn't going to predict for Sooning because I feel like, in general, it's a pretty unsafe pick. But the more I think about it, the more I've convinced myself that Sooning is actually incredibly dangerous in this matchup. So in the interest of in the interest of parity here, I'm gonna predict a sooning 3-1. Well someone's
1: gonna to have to be wrong.
0: <laughs> someone's gonna to have to be wrong. And I've taken the more dangerous positions, so it's yeah. uh it's on me.
1: <laughs> it's totally fair. I took the more dangerous positions last week. Anyway, I think we've pretty much covered about, like, every topic. Uh, I think we can discuss some off-season stuff, though. I think that'll be very fascinating. Uh, With G2 getting knocked out, immediately the rumors have sprung up that, like, perks or caps could be on their way out. Uh, And from the sounds of it, it doesn't sound like there's any bad feelings about it. It's just an amicable breakup where, like, Carlos is recognizing, like, certain desires from certain players.
0: Yeah, and it's also, like, this comes all the way around into the whole off-season rumors circuit and, like, the accounts that are getting these rumors and, like, whether these rumors are legit or whether there's someone in the G2 org that's trolling them or, like, who even knows what. Um, so, first of all, I want to talk about the possibility of either Caps or Perks leaving because that's an interesting possibility even if the rumors complete BS.
1: I would love to see one or the other in LPL. <laughs> not, I, I can't even deny that.
0: That that would be an interesting one for sure. I mean, like <laughs> RNG, you can talk about like RNG language RNG barriers and all such, of these things. Like RNG both of these RNG players would be.
1: Timeline was how much Parks has angered RNG <laughs> and his fans. Oh no. no! That will never happen. But it would be, it would be quite a day indeed.
0: So, first of all, I want to see both of these players in the mid lane. Like, I know that Perks has kind of stated in the past that he's fine with playing in the in the bot lane, and that like that wasn't the reason why they did the swap and spring split and all of that. But fundamentally, they are both mid laners. They're both players that have an incredible impact in that position, and they're they're number one and number two in the region. I don't want to see them like stuck on the same team. And kind of, like, turning it artificially into, like, a one-team region where it really, I feel, should be a two-team region. Yeah. (laughs) But then you get to the other side of this whole story where it's, like, you know, who knows if this rumor is even true. Like, a social media account here and there said the team's going to be sticking through it for 21. And... I think it kind of goes into, like, what we expect out of, like, these roster leaks and stuff like that. And fundamentally, I think that the reason people look at these accounts and look at roster rumors and stuff like that is because they're interesting to think about. They're interesting to talk about, right? And that's kind of the main reason that I like to talk about roster rumors is because there's a lot of hypotheticals. There's a lot of ways that they get you thinking about what a roster is and what a player means to that roster. And that doesn't necessarily rely on the truthfulness of a rumor because, like, there's there's a dozen ways that things can dissolve in between, right? There's, like, the thing that we were talking about with Flandre potentially going to RNG that that fell apart because of Uzi's retirement. Or yeah. there could be just, like, a complete fabrication, right, where, like, you know, some account is, like, tweeting out rumors and, like, st- their sources just decide that it's time to troll the hell out of them, right?
1: Yeah. So, uh, okay. I, I don't think it's a troll. I think the one of capsule perks is probably going to Fnatic, because Fnatic are looking for a mid laner. And like, I, I think these two are both competitors. And I think that Fnatic had the makings of a competitor, if not for, if not yeah. for Nemesis. I think everyone can pretty much universally agree on that.
0: And it might not even be Nemesis's individual failings or anything like that. Like, yeah, he got the hell outlayed out of him. But at the same time, it does seem like in interviews and here and there, like you've, we've heard that it might be a stylistic mismatch for Nemesis and the team. So, you know, get him on, I don't know what, like or, or, Astralis. Yeah. Team Solomon. I don't know.
1: Yeah. Anyway, I think that's pretty much most of all we wanted to talk about. If I'm going to be honest, unless you, there's something you would like to.
0: Was there any other? Oh, I guess we could talk about Alfari.
1: Alfari, Alfari to Team Liquid, wasn't it? Is the current
0: yeah, word. yeah. And that's it's like a, uh, that's it's a big like, rumor.
1: I, I think he pro- he early retirement for like arguably Europe's best top laner. No, I Early think, retirement. Uh, this team liquid roster could make waves if. The, oh yeah. Uh, I'm not sure about Santorin. I'm very unsure about Santorin, in fact.
0: Santorin is best player available. They can't use an import slot on jungle, and Santorin is like the guy who is not completely locked down and uh, has the most chops. You're when you're talking about jungle pool and NA, like you're you're really kind of digging deep after that point.
1: Yeah, no, I guess you're right. If they're gonna go for an import top, yeah, no, yeah, you want.
0: Right. Import top, and they're not giving core JJ. Like, if if they were to lose core JJ, they'd be able to import jungle, but that's like a whole other yeah. bag of worms.
1: And TSM also Bjergsen retiring. Like, what a legend of the game. Like, you could be yeah. a TSM hater like me, but still respect the fuck out of Bjergsen because that guy is an exemplary model professional. Uh, and I, I think it'll be really funny to see. Uh, no no no, no. Uh, yeah uh, <laughs> if, if Perks actually does go to C nine because that's the other rumored team because of teeth, <laughs> who Jensen. It'll be so so funny to see Gen- TSM Jensen after like how he hated on Bjerg for such a good portion of his career. <laughs> uh, oh no, not C nine. Sorry, TL Perks.
0: <laughs> I he don't think that one's perks possible with here, the import slots either. But
1: to TSM, that would be very funny. I heard Jens oh no, Niski is leaving C9, so you know. Oh and yeah. Counted as an import, so that that means perks is open for C9.
0: One thing that I have heard floating around is that uh, North America is looking at a lot more players from the European regional leagues this uh, this season, as opposed to. Like established lec players which i think is like the correct move mathematically for them and f- from there it gets into like whether you wanted to see those players in uh, lec or not
1: yeah I, I do wonder um sort of uh, just as long as they don't get uh sort of your erl players like a Aper- because uh, I know Aker played pro before, but as in he was in the ERL when he was getting right. picked up by um, Zabutin. Then I think NA are good to go if they, because I do think that stealing European tal well talent before they become talent and then developing them is probably the best way for NA to go. Uh, on top of like exploiting their own talent.
0: Yeah, and there's there's a whole lot more conversation, but if they're able to, like. If they're able to correctly scout, then we might see just kind of a healthier import structure overall, because I think there's a lot of moves that have been made in the last kind of two years or so that are just really, um, like, they, they just really didn't pan out.
1: Yeah. Anyway, I think that's most of the off-season roster rumors we talked about. I think TL can assemble a solid roster. If TSM have any ambition, they should go for Chovy. If not, they should get... Uh, was it evolved from Academy? And uh, C9, they should be in the market for uh, perks, if he actually is available.
0: People are saying uh, that the Chovy rumor is him to evil geniuses. I don't if even know how I past- feel about that one.
1: That was in the past. I'm not sure if Chovy would actually go to Evil Geniuses this
0: year. I'm not sure if I really buy the Chovy to NA rumors at this point. But... Yeah,
1: no, I don't think Chovy will really <laughs> but if TSM have ambition, they will chuck money at Chovy.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I think anyone would offer him, honest to God, and it would just be a matter of what he takes. Mm. Like, half of the LPL teams would probably offer Chovy if given a chance, but... We'd just be yeah. throwing darts at the wall at that point. Yeah. I think that's about everything for this week's episode of Farsight. Uh, once again, give us a comment on whichever service you used to catch us on. And that's going to be everything for us. That's, that's yeah. Hiker signing off.
1: Right. And that's Ziden going. Uh, take care, everyone. And see you after the finals where we hope that uh, in can claim it. LPL Tiao. LPL Tiao.